Everybody and welcome to the Premier League Nightclub Podcast. My name is Damon and with me I have the Woodra. And yes, Liverpool fans specifically, this is the first ever title winning episode of the Premier League Nightclub. The first Premier League team to win the title whilst the Premier League Nightclub has been in existence. Woodra, did you catch it over the weekend? Liverpool are finally... It was inevitable that they are finally Premier League champions. Well, Damo, I don't know how you wouldn't be able to catch it because it was literally <laughs> on every social media stream <laughs> in the world, whether it was uh, football related or not, um, no matter what my feed and the news and every media outlet, outlet was absolutely saturated with Liverpool winning the title. Uh, and I love that little montage you put together, Damo, because that was uh, absolutely beautiful and it, it, it showed just the amount of passion and uh, and you need that Liverpool had to, to win the title, and obviously it's finally come. Been a long season in the making, but Damon, they've finally managed to bring the cup to Liverpool. Yeah, they've done it, and uh, we have Daniel Garbon again, our mm. first ever guest that's going to come on for the second time, and this time it's going to be to talk about, of course, Liverpool, huge Liverpool fan, probably the most famous Australian Liverpool fan. I think it's safe to say that. Oh, yeah, uh, and so, yeah, he'll be talking talking about what it means to him, what it means to Liverpool fans across the country and the rest of the world, and basically how he saw the, the season go about. And funny enough, I, I won't go into it now because I'm going into it soon, but I actually did like a little bit of a, a recap of Liverpool's season, and, it, and it's quite remarkable some of the things they pulled off because, you know, like I even though this is pretty much what we do on a weekly basis, analyse the stats, Woodrow, but, mm. you know, I didn't notice a few things how often they were finding late goals and stuff like that. So it's it's quite remarkable some of the things that I found out in the last week along with their Premier League title. But as I said, we are going to have Daniel Garbon to go into that in great detail. But there are a few things on the agenda which we need to, to get involved in, Woodrow, because it's been not just a massive week for Liverpool, it's been a massive week for Australia. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about here. 
Oh, mate. It, it could not be bigger. And, and the night that Liverpool won, it was, I think they won, they, they secured the, the, the final whistle blew the Chelsea Man City game at about 7 uh, 15 a.m. But five hours before that, three hours before the game, massive scenes demo. You and I were both watching live on SBS mm-hmm. The World Game Facebook Live channel. The bid uh, that Australia won to host the FIFA Women's World Cup. In 2023, great success. Holy moly, this was absolute scenes at 2 a.m. in the morning. And Lucy Lucy Zellich was in tears. The Foz was going crazy. <laughs> SBS was popping off. What a night, Damo. And, and it was so good to actually see it live as well. Mate, uh, we didn't even know that we were watching it. So, like, I was watching it thinking, oh, you know, I don't wonder if any of my mates are, are here. Like, you know, the oh, mate, the anticipation in those last couple of minutes was just so intense. But then mm. you and me sort of messaged our group chat at the exact same time. We're like, yeah, come on. Fuck it, it was big. <laughs> it was big. Um, but I think uh, if, a few Aussie podcasts that, you know, I listen to or a bit following on Twitter, they... The, the banter that was flowing on social media, and I know this isn't really the point of hosting a World Cup, but the banter flowing on social media about that SBS coverage online was nothing short of hilarious. And there are a few, I, th- I think I saw one, it was like, imagine sleep paralysis, but instead of like, you know, like seeing something whilst you, you're, you're paralyzed and awake, it's just the Foz bring, talking during dead air time. Like I was in tears <laughs> with some of the stuff that people were coming oh up with. Dude, God. the if there was a man on the planet that you needed to quickly jump on whatever program it was, it did not matter if it was football related or anything else, you get the Foz on and that man could talk for four hours about absolutely anything and make it sound like it's a life or death matter. It's insane. <laughs> man, I tell you, the man, the, the man has a bloody gift and that's, it's, it's no secret they've been trying to we've been trying to get him on the pod for a long time now and and i think now more than ever we probably need him on the pod because some of the stuff that he was talking was you know if we were talking about this in a pub it would be bloody garbage but then you hear the yeah. talking about with lucy and it's like godsend you just you, you just it's 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 listen to every word exactly in great detail. Mate. it's like the 10 commandments but it's just trash and it's coming out of foz's <laughs> mouth and we're all believing it we're all believing it, don't we? <laughs> Mate, just on that, the Foz did uh, unfortunately say that he was going to leave the the SBS coverage to uh, go seek uh, different different sort of career path, which I think everybody sort of knew was on the cards. The man's mm. always been really big in his um, you know human rights, political sort of stuff. So best of luck to him. But yeah, drifting back into the FIFA Women's World Cup, it's going to be massive. 2023, Australia and New Zealand shared World Cup. Uh, I think, Woodrow, you said just before we came on, we are going to be 26 when that World Cup comes around. And mm. I'm not sure if people listening actually knew how old we were, but you know, you can do the maths. Uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty scary to think that it's, it's not that far away, but 20, us being 26 feels far away. So yeah, Dan, uh, it's going to be a big I tournament. I can see you popping out a few little, uh, don't say what I think you're going to say, mate. Come on. Don't little, even go. A few there. little kiddos with the miso by the time you're 26. Uh, a few little, mate, fosl- you just, little, few little foslings. You, yeah, fosslings, you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, you, you come up with some stuff live on air. It just absolutely stuns me. Steady like a stunned mullet. It's ridiculous. But that would... That would, right. It's going to be unreal. It's going to be insane for uh, the, the the dynamic of football 
in, in Australia. Uh, we're going to get some of the best female players in the world coming to our shores. We're going to have, you know, the world watching pretty much. And, mm. and of course, there was so much made of their last World Cup bid for the men's, uh, which is, of course, won by Qatar and how much, you know, dodginess was about that. Look, we did get one vote and we probably wouldn't have won. But if you look at the other votes and how many Qatar got, you know, that's a whole other story. But we were there was scary thoughts that it was going to happen again to us, but it didn't this time. Speaking of, of which, Damo, I'm pulling just going just to cut you off there. Because mm. talking about questionable votes, England went against oh, Australia to vote for Colombia. Did you see what Eddie Maguire said? It, yeah, it got me joke, big time. Joke. It was a huge joke, but he's like, if we, you know, when we go into World War Three, we'll remember this, what they did tonight. I, I thought it was brilliant, to be yeah. honest. Like, every right, we it's, should be it's pissed like, off. That, it's was, like, that was not on. It's like, we just asked for a vote, and you're going to come to ask for us for soldiers, which you're not going to get now. Mate, the FA Cup over the weekend uh, saw some... I wouldn't say interesting results because I feel pretty much every favourite won, mm. which actually hasn't happened in the FA Cup for a while. I think maybe two seasons ago, we did have a, a, a Tottenham-Man United semi-final and a Chelsea, potentially, uh, Arsenal semi-final, something like that. Um, but other than that, we it's very rare these days that we actually have the, a, a big four teams in the final four. So it's you know good to see and not good to see. Everybody has their opinion on the magic of the cup. But yeah, we've got uh, the semi-finals are locked in. United versus Chelsea and Arsenal versus Man City, both at Wembley, of course. No fans will attend, as you know, as obvious as that is. Uh, they'll be good. They'll be good ones, Woodrow. But it wasn't all easy doing. I think Man United took to the last minute to get over Norwich. Arsenal scored a last-minute winner against Sheffield. City got the job done relatively easy against Newcastle. And I actually watched the Chelsea Leicester game for a little bit. And quite frankly, Chelsea were pretty fortunate to not concede all game, especially in that first 30 minutes. I don't know if you caught it. But yeah, the FA Cup looks set to be played later in July. Mm, very unconvincing for a few of those teams. But I know those particular four teams have a few players that have signed um, contract extensions from the season, Damo. And it's been a point of conjecture that we've sort of discussed over the last, I don't know, maybe 10 pods. We've dabbled in it and we, we went into a little yeah. bit, especially when we went into isolation, into lockdown, is... With the deadline, transfer deadline coming past and a lot of contracts coming to a close, who are the players that are going to sign extensions and who were potentially going to leave? And I think over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of light shed on players signing both large extensions and extensions towards the end of the season, which in itself lends you know a little bit of insight into who's actually going to leave and who's dispensable come the end yeah. of the year and come the end of the playing Absolutely. season. So maybe let's get stuck into a few of those because we know for, for a fact that some academy players, um, for example, Angel Gomez from Man United has decided to leave, hasn't obviously received the opportunities that maybe he would have liked. I know he pushed back maybe a 35K a, a, K a week deal, which maybe leads itself to suggesting that money wasn't a factor. It was more just playing time and development. I know a lot of other players on the list Maybe at the other end of the spectrum, are towarding, to, getting towards the end of their career as well. Yeah, there's been, there's been a few interesting cases. Of course, Ryan Fraser, uh, that came out a couple of days ago that he wouldn't be a part of the Bournemouth team for the rest of the season, and that writing was on the wall for large parts of the year. Uh, there's There's been a few 
real interesting ones in that they're sort of staying for an extra month or two. Look at Pedro and William from Chelsea who mm. have locked in contracts for about two months. But if anything, that sort of is a dead giveaway that they won't be staying, if that sort of makes sense. And of yeah, course, sure. another veteran, veteran uh, Zabaleta, Premier League legend, you'd have to say, uh, no longer at West Ham. So a few of the older players... I wouldn't say being given the flick, sort of. It's just what it is. What it is, you know. This sort of situation, it was always going to happen that some players might not leave the way they wanted to, but it is what it is. And Woodrow, but it's not all bad. Fewer staying. Uh, I guess it, it's not all bad for some people, but if you look at what Arsenal fans think, it might be bad. David Luiz is sticking around for another year, and after his performance most recently in the. Premier League, or actually, sorry, not most recently, they did beat Southampton 2-0, but maybe last week, or two weeks ago, jeez, my timeline's absolutely all <laughs> over the place, they, uh, I don't know, some Arsenal fans might question that, but it also looks like Lallana's sticking around a little bit uh, as well, obviously he's not a high uh, high minutes player for Liverpool, but you know, being around that Liverpool dressing room at the moment, why would you want to leave? But yeah, that's pretty much all I've got on the contracts, Woodruff. Well, just to quickly add, I know the Sheffield boys, uh, my boys, have, have sort of stuck in and, and got some massive contract extensions on. We look at the likes of John Fleck, Ender Stevens, and Ollie Norwood, obviously all uh, huge contributors to the Blades so far this season, all signed contract extensions to the end of 2023. And considering that, we've got the captain, Billy Sharp, and uh, Dave McGoldrick signing to 2022. So the, uh, the Sheffield boys, the Blades, are definitely doing some serious things behind contract as well. Uh, same with Leicester and Bournemouth, both getting um, three uh, or four apiece to sign back. But yeah, Damo, it's been it's really interesting. With that being said, we'll probably put this behind us because we've got... Some bigger things to talk about, and that was Liverpool's 30-year wait for their championship title. Mate, this one is why people have clicked play on the pod. I've got a funny feeling the majority of listeners this week might be Liverpool supporters. Everybody else has turned off their internet for the next year. So, without further ado, I think it might be worthwhile to get our man Dan Garb, second-time guest, on the pod to discuss all things Liverpool. Let's do it. Yep, that's right. For the second time on the Premier League nightclub, we've got our main man, Dan Garb, massive, massive Liverpool fan. And Dan, I'd ask you how you are, but I'm guessing I don't really need to ask the question. Walk on. Walk on. <laughs> Get him off. Get him off. Sorry, I've just been singing that song for the last few days, boys. And, uh, <laughs> it was still on in the background. Apologies. No, I'm going, I'm going very well. And yeah, to uh, to know that it's two United fans who have to talk about Liverpool's first title in 30 years with me on the <laughs> podcast just makes it even better. Oof, okay. I don't know about this one. I do not know. <laughs> Dan, none of, no, enough of you rubbish. I just I just want to sort of understand how does it feel to finally be Premier League champion after being so close so many times, especially in the last five years. It feels amazing. It feels absolutely amazing, but. We've also been accustomed to it for the last four months, basically. Like, I think that's where it's an incredible feeling, but it wasn't like a one euphoric going nuts moment because, you know, we, we knew we had it won from January, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, okay, there was a worry there that COVID might prevent us winning it in a pure way, but I always thought we would get the title even if the season was called off. Thankfully, that didn't happen. But, uh, you know, once it resumed, you knew it. 
it was going to happen to the point where I really wanted Man City to beat Chelsea so that we could win it with a game to be played. So then at least you could set yourself and say, we win it today and you can wake up, enjoy the whole 90 minutes and then have that full-time moment when your own team has got the job done and, and then you can have a bit of that. Uh, so it's more relief, to be honest, and just satisfaction. Then you know, there's a lot of excitement, of course, but that's the overriding emotion because it's done now. We've won it. It's over. That's great. And just the satisfaction of this team basically fulfilling its quality in, in that respect. I mean, they won the Champions League. They would have won the league in any other year last season, of course, if not for a ridiculous City side. To back that up and go and win it and do it in such devastating fashion and to end the 30-year drought and to shut everyone up who have had all these jokes <laughs> for so long is just so satisfying. We've done it now. We've won it. And you can, you know, that's all been put to bed. And we're back on our perch. You know, United fans will say, oh, what about the 20 times? You haven't got as many titles as us. We are back in our perch. European champions, Jeez. Premier League champions, <laughs> back on the perch. Yeah, Ernie oh, Ferguson's God. line has also been discarded. So it's a great, oh, a great time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, aside from all that absolute rubbish. Uh, well, how's uh, it rubbish? How's it? I know United fans pick up on that and they go, oh, well, we've won it 20 times. You want it not? Okay, fine. But we've also won the European Cup six times and we won it last year and now we're Premier League champions. Like, I'm pretty sure Liverpool is on the perch now of English football looking down on everyone else. It's. Look, it is uh, unbearable. I know that's a word that's been used <laughs> quite a lot. It really is unbearable. But something that's got me through the last six months, let's say, when I knew it was going to happen, was that I sort of, being a huge AFL fan myself, I, I tended to, I'm a Richmond supporter. So I sort of used my Richmond you know, drought-breaking experience to relate myself to Liverpool fans and sort of not get annoyed at them when they started talking <laughs> about it. Does that yeah. sort of make sense? So, oh, Completely. But, as a Richmond supporter, for so long, I always dreamed about, like, you know, what would be the best way to do it? Or, like, you know, like, would I want to kick after the sign in a grand final? Would I want to win by 100 points? I could never really decide. And, and you sort of touched on how you didn't want City to lose or draw so that you could win it uh, yourselves. Not that you didn't, but you didn't get what I'm saying. Did, mm. Was it sort of, like, did you always want to win on, like, the final day? Or did you just not mm. care? Or did you want it to not be stressful like it was? Like it wasn't? No, you, you didn't care. You just wanted to win it, basically. And especially after COVID, because, you know, you were worried, you know, what if there's a another spike in numbers, so to speak, and have to stop it again, just get it done. Um, mm -hmm. That was the, the main thing. But when you knew you were playing a few days later, it was like, all right, well, ideally we'd win it with a game to be played so we can set ourselves and, and then enjoy the, uh, the 90 minutes. But no, it's just great to win it. And, you know, just for this group of players and for this manager to, to have that moment. I mean, I know there are people who despise Liverpool and that's fine. That's all part of it. We feel the same way about your clubs, but everyone surely deep down likes Jurgen Klopp. I mean, he is yeah. all class in everything that he does. The way in which he carries himself. Uh, okay, managers all have their moments where, you know, they cross the line or whatnot. Every single manager does, but more often than not, he's full of class and he does things the right way and, He's just the dream boss. He is, honestly, he's rekindled Bill Shankly at Liverpool. And I was there last year when they won the Champions League. And the day after the final, I you know, walked the streets and bumped into some you know, old school Liverpool fans in bars. And they're like, this is what Shankly did for our club. He basically mm. connected with the supporters 
and with the city and understood the culture, that working class culture, and brought everyone together so well to make it an unstoppable force. And Klopp's the same. And how he gets the best out of these players, I mean, there are only two players in that Liverpool squad that have been bought at what you would classify world-class standard, and that is Allison in goals and Van Dijk. And to be honest, on Van Dijk, you know, he wasn't even classified as world-class when Liverpool Yeah, I was going to say, I borderline disagree. Yeah, well, the fee, the fee suggests he was, right? Because it's a crazy yeah. fee for a defender. But, you know, people would say he hadn't been at a big club yet and he hadn't done anything amazing for the Netherlands yet. So you could almost put, you know, sort of a, a shade of grey on, on that status. Yet in that time, you go through the squad now and you would say, uh, okay, Allison, yep, Van Dijk goes up to world-class guaranteed, Alexander-Arnold, Andy Robertson, uh, and certainly Mane, Salah and Firmino, seven, all world-class. And then you've got Henderson, who's gone up to another level, Fabinho, who's been a ridiculous signing. All these players have been elevated by the manager. None Mm. of them were guarantees to be as good as they have been when they were signed, apart from Allison. So that says a lot about, I mean, their quality as players, but also what that boss does in terms of elevating players' performances and the players basically binding together and willing to learn from him and, and go to that next level as well. It's an amazing connection. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with you. And it's, it's funny you, you mention and you touch on Klopp so much because I think one thing we see from some of the greatest managers of all time is not only do they know the tactics of the game, but they know the best pressure points for their team. And then mentally, they are more, um, you know, more in tune with how to get the best out of a player rather than purely just the tactics on the pitch. And I think if you're a football fan, no matter no matter who you support, you would have seen the video of Klopp, you know, in tears and, and, and explaining how much the club actually means to him. And you have to sort of wonder, you know, in the, in the few short years that he's been at Liverpool... He is really connected to the club and on, on a level that we yeah. probably haven't seen from a few of your previous managers at the time. For example, with Brendan Rodgers, he just, you can tell Klopp really lives and breathes Liverpool at the moment. And it leads me to the question as well, how, where's the next stepping stone for Klopp and this Liverpool side? Obviously, you guys just won the title, you've won the Champions League. Mm. What next? How do you guys establish a dynasty under Klopp? Well, I think it can be done. I mean, it just, it just has to be a... And it's already started. It has to be a mentality of ruthlessness, like we saw with with Manchester United for so long and for Arsenal for periods and for Chelsea for little periods as well. And, and it, it has already started because let's not forget this team made a Champions League final before they won the Champions League and then should, mm. you know, almost won the league uh, the year before they won the league as well. It's actually been going for three years and they've ma- actually managed to maintain that strong mentality. I mean, there was a bit of fear definitely amongst... Liverpool fans, for obvious reasons, and probably a bit of hope amongst opposition fans, or they won the Champions League and went so close to winning the league and didn't do it, maybe they'll drop off, maybe they'll be deflated. The opposite happened. They came out all guns blazing and blew everyone away. So there's signs that the mentality will be strong enough they can carry on winning leagues as much as other clubs will improve, of course, and make it more difficult. Yes, he's got to tinker with the squad, uh, no doubt, to keep them on their toes. There's already talk they won't be doing too much in the transfer market, but surely one or two players have to come in to make sure the others are basically made to feel alert and don't get complacent. I'm sure he can do that. But he's just brilliant at driving players on. I mean, it it is so hard to do what he does, which is be a friend to the players, but also someone they respect and are fearful of in a good way. It's so hard to get that balance. 
Some managers become too friendly, maybe like a Brendan Rodgers at, at times, even though it worked really well for one season. Others can be too distant, like a Rafa Benitez, who wasn't a manager who could put an arm around a player. You know, he, he was all yeah. analysis and, and tactics, and, and the players did well under that. Obviously, they won a Champions League, but, you know, they've all said we would have loved it if he was just a little bit closer to us. Klopp has the balance, and doing that is so incredibly hard in management in any sphere, business, sport, personal life, whatever. And mm. uh, he's brilliant at it. So they can certainly go on and, and keep the dynasty going for a few more years because the squad is young as well. I mean, who's in the squad that you look at and go, is about to fall off the cliff? Literally no one. No. Yeah. Literally no one. Maybe Milner's getting a few injuries now, but he's like a robot who carries on anyway. And he's, a, you know, he's not a key player. He's just a, a, a quality uh, squad player who can play in so many different positions. He's been brilliant. But apart from him, there's no one really about to drop off. Does in terms of the dynasty and look as you said they've already won two major trophies probably the two biggest you can win but is the FA Cup something that Liverpool now need to turn their attention to only because recent history suggests that I wouldn't say they insult the competition because they're not the first club to put weak teams out there every club does it they just tend to not get away with it like other teams do they do tend to fall short over and over again when they do put a weak team out there compared to other ones, if that sort of makes sense. Do you, th- do you think Klopp's attitude towards the FA Cup might change? I'll be honest, this may sound harsh, and it is harsh because I love the FA Cup and it's been great to Liverpool. You only really care about that if you're not challenging for the league and the Champions League, like pure and simple. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it is. That doesn't mean that you can't go on and win it when you're on a run for those competitions. And yes, Liverpool have put out young teams and those young teams won some games. I'm sure if they got to the semi-final... Uh, you know, the, the full team would have been out again and they would have gone, all right, we can go on and win it. Um, but you don't care about it if you're challenging for the league and about to win the Champions League and you're going far in that competition. You know, if you've got a squad like City and you can play two 11s, fine. Liverpool doesn't have as much depth. Yes, they've got ridiculous quality in their first 11, but they're going to rotate things because there's bigger things to win. And the FA Cup is great, don't get me wrong, but let, let's not forget how many Arsenal won under Wenger towards the end of his tenure, right? What, two or three FA Cups they won? Yeah. What did it do for him? Yeah, you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't classify him as successful, really. I think Van Gaal no. got the sack a day after the win, winning they the were FA Cup. Exactly right. Like, the, they were still dropping off. Because for the big clubs, yes, it's great to win. No, no one would exchange that day for anything. It's a great day out. It is a sign of progress. It's something to be celebrated. But if you're a big club and you're not in the Champions League regularly or challenging for the title, the FA Cup doesn't mean much because you're not going to be judged on that. You're just not. It'll help a little bit, but you know, ultimately, if you're not progressing, it's going to paper over the cracks, which it did for, for Wenger, uh, and, and didn't make a difference for Van Gaal. So, to be honest, when you're winning the Champions League, without wanting to sound arrogant as a fan, like when you are winning Champions Leagues and Premier Leagues, you just don't even think about it. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, looking at the season you guys had, and obviously, like you said, you, you were so dominant this year, uh, or this this uh, this calendar season, but I'm pretty sure the tone was set from very from the very start of the season. I think almost last year later left a pretty bitter taste in the mouth for everyone at Liverpool, I'd say. And you guys you guys started off with a real bang, and you guys won um, the opening eight of your league games to open up a pretty significant gap straight away. Do you think that's just a ruthless mentality that the squad has? Do you think it was the bitter taste? Um, I, 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 maybe a bit of it, yeah. Like, I think there was... I think what it was, was... 
Liverpool knew, as did City, that there is no margin for error anymore. They learned that from that season before where they, I mean, what did they lose? Maybe one or two games and ended up one game, sorry, and, and didn't win the title. You yeah. sit there and you go, this is just crazy. We lost one game all season. That was two Man City away and we still haven't won it? Like, what the hell? So you start mm. the next season going, we cannot afford a mistake. We have got to make up for this and we have got to be so intense from the start because you actually can't afford to lose games now if you want to win this league. Be it two, three, four, you can't. But City just didn't have the same quality to go with them early on for whatever reason. And that meant that the gap was just big from the first three months. And then they all got into their zone and they just go on with it, basically. And yes, because they've got a great mentality in the team and a great spirit and and players rose with it. I mean, you, you know, Fabinho goes to another level. Jordan Henderson goes to another level. When the captain's doing that, that has a huge influence. I mean, mm. he had such a good season and he's such a good leader. And I give him more credit than any other player because, you know, I was in London watching that team. I remember watching his debut, Jordan Henderson, playing out on the right, and he copped so much stick from fans. He really did. They just did not think he was up to Liverpool quality. Former players saying he doesn't deserve to wear the armband. Brendan Rodgers, you know, offering offering him up to Fulham. To get through all of that, all that crap, and go on to win a Champions League and Premier League as captain, wow. I mean, what a leader for your team. And I think he helped drive them on as well. And the players all play for someone like him as, as well as they do Klopp. And the mentality was just so strong. But it mainly came down to knowing that we can't afford to lose games. And so coming out at 100% and City just not being at the same pace. For sure. Well, just on that mentality, I, I was actually looking back through Liverpool's season just to, you know, to say I was trying to figure out how they won the league is, is a really dumb thing to say because they just won every game pretty much. But when I was, I was looking at if there were any key sort of wins that set them up for for a month or so, and look, there were obviously the 3-1 win over City in November and then mm. uh, the 4-0 win over Leicester on Boxing Day were massive because I think on Boxing Day, I think Leicester were actually second. City were third at the time. So you smashed the teams that were one below you on both mm. occasions. Yeah. But one thing that I actually didn't really notice, probably because I'm not a Liverpool fan, you probably know exactly what I'm about to talk about, is the 2-1 wins. And I didn't notice there were that yeah. many. Yeah. It, it was ridiculous how many goals you actually scored in the last 10 minutes. And obviously yeah. there was the one at home to Leicester and Villa, Wolves and Palace were all in the last 10 minutes. And... You know, as a United fan, I I know as well as anyone that those last-minute goals don't just win that game. They win future games. Yeah. Sort of. Exactly right. And, you know, that was a hallmark of United for so long. And there's a period when you're an opposition fan and that happens and you go, oh, they're so lucky. It just keeps happening for them later on. How lucky are they? Fergie time. It's not luck. It's luck if it happens once or twice a season, potentially, if there's a bit of extra time or the ball manages to fall into the right area for someone to finish or you get a lucky decision or whatnot. If it happens all the time, it's not luck, it's mentality. And it's a belief in a squad that even though it's one all in the 75th minute, every player knows without even saying it to each other, we are going to create three more chances. And there's a very good chance that we will take one, no matter when it happens. And United did that for so long because they were so stupidly confident they knew those chances would come and they had the quality to bury them. And Liverpool had that this season, which is born from two or three seasons of being just a damn good team. And so it's not, you know, anything to do with luck. I have a mate who's a United fan 
whinge about that at one stage of the season, probably because he couldn't take it anymore. But uh, <laughs> I just said to him, mate, your team did this for ages and you were damn good. That's why you, you won so many trophies. And, and that's what this team is doing. They've got amazing belief to keep creating these chances. And yes, when they did that three or four times, you went, we're going to win this league because, mm. you know, they're going to blow other teams away. But if they're in these tight games, they're just so calm and they just know they will conjure up two or three opportunities and more, you know, there might be one or two games where they don't take and more often than not, they will because they've just got so much belief. Yeah, for sure. Um, just steering back to sort of the celebrations in the last week, obviously you lived over in England or you were the Fox sports correspondent for a long time, which we spoke about last time we had you on. Do you have still have any connections uh, in Liverpool and in England and have they given you a bit of an insight what it's been like over there? I mean, yeah, a, a bit of that. People have messaged and, and all that and I've seen what's been going on. And, and look, some of the, the celebrations, it must be said, are, are unnecessary and, you know, destroying the city and that is just, you know, ridiculous. Mm. And Jurgen Klopp in his own article to fans, which was brilliant uh, in the paper, denounced that as well as he should have. So that's disappointing and you never like to see that and there's no excuse for it. But uh yeah, they're loving it over there. I think it's just amongst everyone, even the fans who are in Liverpool, it's just relief. There's so much relief that it's over, that it's done with, and, and that satisfaction. It's just a great feeling that your team is champions again and that you are, you know, the kings of English football. <laughs> yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Gabby, but uh, there's something that has sort of struck me. Now, I look at championship teams over the last few years and, and the likes of City, there always comes a point where a reality check comes and mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not trying to take Liverpool off their perch at all, but do you feel as if, yeah, but, you know, except for the fact that you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, but do, do you feel like that point that I think it was like a couple of weeks um, uh, at the point in the season, I think it was, I can, it was around the end of Feb, I think um, when you lost to Atletico, you lost to Watford and then you mm. lost to Chelsea. Um, do you think that was a reality check the team needed? Um, I don't know about a reality check they needed. I mean, Atletico's a damn good side when they're up and going. Like They weren't that good in the Liga up until that point. But since the resumption, they won five in a row. And they're mm. up to third. Like, they're a quality football side who have competed for Champions Leagues under uh, Simeone before. They beat us. I mean, like it happens in Champions Leagues. I mean, we'd gone a, we'd gone a final and then a win. Like, you know, to keep that run going is pretty damn hard. So... We just got beaten by a team that was was better than us, and yeah, we lost to Watford. But like, it's our one loss all season, you know, because yeah. people have become so accustomed to Liverpool not losing, it became such a big deal because you know, obviously, we were a chance to be invincibles. Mm. But mm. look back through past seasons, the title winners have lost plenty of games, and the yeah. big teams have lost. Pl- like it happens, they just lost the game. Yeah, we're going through. A bit of a rough patch and maybe the team was just struggling for a bit of momentum and a bit of energy no doubt but man it's a high bar that you're setting if you start to think that it was like a reality check or anything like that no it was just a bit of a dip in form that's all and then Chelsea was FA Cup wasn't it so yeah I yeah. mean again it's another competition where perhaps mentally they just dropped off a Pretty little sure, bit yeah. because you know there's a bigger thing to win it's the Premier League that's what they cared about the FA mm. Cup didn't mean as much so no, nah, it was just a bit of a dip, which happens for every single club in every single mm. league. But it just hadn't happened for Liverpool for basically two years. So it was made to be a bigger deal than it was. Mm. 
Well, the last three Premier League seasons, uh, including this one, have seen pretty much record-breaking numbers. And if you look back at Arsenal and Man United's titles, even Chelsea's ones in the 2000s, their their points tally, well, I think Mourinho broke the record in about 05-06, I think, potentially. It might have been a little bit later. Uh, but now those numbers look weak compared yeah. to today's results. So do you think that's just the way forward and what's going to be standard? Or do you think this is just sort of a, a patch in Premier League history where the top teams are just so much better than everybody else? It's a great question. Um, I think it's more likely to resort to the norm at some stage. But that all depends on the other big clubs getting their act together, right? Mm-hmm. Because if they don't, yes, one of the big six is going to jump up more often than not and be able to dominate. It's about the big six taking points off each other. I mean, you can have a freakish year where they're all flat and Leicester pops up and, and wins it, which was wonderful. But, you know, that's that's never going to be seen again in our lifetime, let's be honest. So, yeah. you know, it, it's about how competitive those other big six are. So, yes, I think it will resort to the norm if a team like Manchester United can continue its progression, uh, which is looking pretty good at the moment, and take, go to that next level, which is a big if. Because as well as United are doing right now, it's one thing playing well and looking like a better side and being a team that breaks into the top four. It's another thing doing what Liverpool have done and what United used to do, which is be relentless and brilliant mentally week in, week out. That requires a lot of mental energy. Uh, You know, it's a big ask to say that United's squad will be able to do that by next season. I don't think they they will. I don't think that it's too hard. you know, Chelsea, yes, they look exciting. They're going to jump up with Timo Werner. They'll probably take a few big scalps. But again, they'll be a developing side. Where will City be? You'd think right up there. But does their Champions League ban hurt them? Uh, do they lose a couple of players if that kicks in and, mm. and they're all of a sudden, you know, a team that's in a bit of a state of flux? You'd think they'd be okay. And Arsenal, that doesn't look like jumping up anytime soon. Uh, where are Spurs <laughs> going to go under Mourinho? So, at the moment, you're going into next season and you're going, Liverpool are going to be very warm favourites to win it again. Yeah. They just will be. By the same margin, that's hard to replicate, of course. Uh, and that depends on other teams jumping up. But yes, over the journey, I think it's going to be smaller margins more often than not because you'd expect the, the other big six to get better and for the team at the top to, to drop down for whatever reason. But uh, I think it can certainly be a big margin next season because there's no big indication that another team will be able to go with them at this stage. Well, Garby, I'm sure you'll be praying for that to happen, but I do just have one last one. And again, feel free to get, you know, speak from the heart in this one. What did it mean to you specifically? I know you've uh, you've talked yeah. about how great it is, blah, blah, blah. Do, do you have, you know, did you celebrate with your family? Did, uh-huh. did you think back to moments like, oh, you know, think back to the Steven Gerrard slip and whatnot? Did, did you think back to the dark times? How did, how did it go for you? Yeah, good question. So, me personally, I think back to, you know, becoming a fan in 89. We win the FA Cup. You know, we win the league in 1990. But, you know, remember, I'm six or seven years old then. We couldn't really watch it then. It wasn't on TV. So, I don't really remember us winning it. Like, I remember pictures of it. But that's all. Um, But then I think back to, like, my grandfather buying me my first scarf. who He wasn't a Liverpool fan, but he just loved that I was. And he got behind me on it. And sent me strips and sent me scarves and got me into it. And I think about that, you know, I think about, you know, being a fan through the 90s and Liverpool being pretty rubbish, like being a mid-table side for the majority of the 90s and everyone jumping on the Man United bandwagon, which is fine. 
and them being mm. dominant. And I think about not wavering, you know, I think about not leaving as an eight, nine-year-old and could have easily gone, oh, this is too hard. I'm going to go support United. They're winning everything. I think yeah. about sticking with Liverpool and actually becoming more attached to the club and reading more about the club and really embracing it all even more, despite us struggling compared to expectations. And, you know, then we've had some great moments since Champions Leagues and other FA Cups that have been wonderful. But yeah, I mean, I, I was watching the team for five years closely and saw some exhilarating football, but had the heartbreak of not winning the league when we had a great chance as well and watching the team fall apart under Brendan Rodgers. And to go through all of those ups and downs, basically, in the roller coaster and then to finally do it. Yeah, I mean, from a personal point of view, it's you reflect on all those things and it, you get a bit emotional about it all. Yeah, for sure. Well, as I said, as a Richmond supporter, I could sort of relate. I know uh, we actually had Tom Morris on ages ago and he sort of spoke about how an, when an AFL team wins a premiership, it's amazing for us down here in Australia. But in reality, like, who really cares outside of, outside well, of yeah. us? But then... But then when Liverpool wins it, it's just next level sort of stuff. So I can, I can't even yeah. begin to imagine really what it would have felt like. Well, exactly right. And also, you know, they all know, like the club, about the impacts around the world. Like on my podcast, I had Jamie Carragher on recently, mm-hmm. and we spoke about that, like the, the fan impacts on a club. And he's like, you just, it blows you away completely. Like you said that when you're somebody who grows up with Liverpool, you kind of know, but. Players come from other clubs into these big teams like Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, etc. And they just have no idea how big the club is. Like they know it's a big club, but they haven't seen it themselves. And they yeah. come on trips to Australia, for example, like Liverpool did. And it just it, they're completely gobsmacked by how many supporters there are. Then they yeah. see how many fans go to sure. Madrid for a Champions League final and take over a city. And they're blown away. So they're aware as well as, the, as to the impact in every corner of the world, including Australia and the fact that it's not lost on them is, is pretty special too. Yeah, for sure. Well, Gabi, it's been an absolute honour to have you on yet again. And I think when Liverpool won the league, you were the first person I thought, all right, we've got to get Gabi back on the pod because he's <laughs> going to be able to deliver absolutely you know, next-level stuff compared to what me and Woody would have been capable of. So thank you very much for coming on. Um, we'll definitely be keeping a lookout for your tweets, especially those uh, those ones that have a go at the Null and Void Brigade. I, I really did enjoy that <laughs> over the line. Well, they got on my nerves, I'll be honest. They were a pain <laughs> in the ass. Um, I know some of it was tongue-in-cheek, but there were some that actually wanted that. And I thought that was pretty sickening, to be honest, because to me that wouldn't have been fair to anyone, not just Liverpool, but you know Leeds and West Brom and those teams as well. So... Yeah, to have put them to bed, that was uh, pretty satisfying too. To be honest, even the dickheads that uh, claim the season has an asterisk no, on the I mean, title, I think that's even worse. <laughs> well, there's people who claim it has an asterisk because there's now five subs and water breaks. Like, do me a favour. It's a fame for every. How's that an asterisk? Like, it's not, a, it's not a different game. They're not playing with a beach ball. They're not playing with bigger goals. Like, <laughs> big Garvey, deal. Some of us have got to sleep at night. We have to believe what we have to believe. Yeah, exactly. So whatever helps people. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, to win at the pure way has been great. For sure. All right, Garby, thank you so much for coming on. As I said, it's been an absolute honour. We'll have to have you on for a third time, uh, hopefully when Liverpool don't win the league next season. But until, <laughs> until then, all the best. All good. Thanks, boys. Oof, Damo. First returning guest, and I did not ex- – I knew, I knew he was a nuts Liverpool fan, but – you could just tell it just bleeds the Reds. 
Mate, we could have spoken for hours and hours if it was up to him, but we tried to keep that as minimal as possible because <laughs> uh, I don't know how much work it would take to do that. But yeah, no, you can tell his, his passion. It's infectious, to be honest, because uh, Woodrow, we were discussing um, you know, off air a couple of days ago how despite it's all good to have football back, it is, it is tough to sort of embrace the big moments when there's no atmosphere around. And, you know, we've discussed how Optusport allow you to watch the games with or without crowd noise. And even with crowd noise, it's hard to, to fully get into it again. So I think when you hear someone talk with that amount of passion and interest in the league still, which not to say we don't, but you get what, sort of what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's great to have someone on and reignite our passion for the round ball game. And also on that, Woodrow, do you just want to give a quick shout out because we forgot to do it whilst he was on the line. So apologies to Garby for that. Do you just want to give a quick shout out to Garby's podcast? Uh, so for those listening, go check it out. Yes, please, guys. Uh, of course, after you listen to us, go have a gaze at uh, Garby's podcast. That is Greats with Garby. You can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you search your podcast. Just search up Greats with Garby. He's had some unreal guests, uh, the likes of Stephen Canelio, the mighty Jamie Carragher, Brett Holman, um, some unbelievable stories going on there with Garby. He's got some great things going on. And like he told us off-air, Damo, he's got some things in the pipeworks happening, which I'm sure we'll see pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. And also, uh, I'll actually pop the link down uh, in the description of this podcast as well. So uh, if, you, if you're lazy enough or too lazy to go look for it yourself, all you have to do is click the description of this podcast, wherever you're listening from. And it'll be there. So make sure you go have a listen to Greats with Garby. It's an absolute cracker. Yes. Uh, and Damo, another cracker that I quickly want to get into um, is because Damo's dollars is actually, uh, you picked Super Thursday last last week. And you just want to remind everyone what the multi is that is happening because in a couple of days, it is Super Thursday. It's actually it's actually tomorrow morning, so you have yeah, to go tomorrow. as soon as you hear the pod. Go chuck on this multi. It is Everton versus Leicester draw at three forty. West Ham versus Chelsea draw at four twenty. Arsenal versus Norwich. Arsenal win at dollar fifty three. Bournemouth Bournemouth versus Newcastle. Bournemouth win at two dollars thirty. That is at fifty dollars and twenty five odds as per last week. I'm sure they've shifted upwards because some of those are very unfavorable. Go stick a tenner on it <laughs> and come uh, give us a bit of commish when you win. Mate, I tell you, I'll also pop that up on the Twitter to be honest because Woodrow, I got completely lost with what you were just saying and I wrote up the multi. So <laughs> I will post it up on Twitter for those who got a little bit lost and uh, and yeah, for those betting companies out there listening, I'm still waiting for, for a call up. But uh, yeah, no, I'm it's, I'm keen for for Big Thursday. I I got a good feeling about this one. Mm, yeah, I'm very very keen, demo. I'm definitely putting some moolah on that one. Uh, not not not, <laughs> not out of the podcast pocket, but um, hopefully we can get a few dollary dos injected into the podcast. Hey. <laughs> Alright, so Damo, it is much anticipated. Unfortunately, a few things caught my eye in the last few games, which has made me extremely, extremely pissed off. So, Is this is this what I think it is? It has to be. It's really unfortunate that this is coming back because this is a dire situation where Woody's whip has to feature. Dire, dire situation. Oh. And... It is for that. It is it. Oh, it's it. Gee whiz. And, and Damo, the the whip this week is going to Watford. Outplayed, outran, and outthought yet again. As good as Southampton were, 
Watford came back from the break, and I've never seen a team coming back so lethargic. The only thing I could actually compare it to is the way Watford played at the start of the season. Now, for Mm -hmm. me, Nigel Pearson has to get him playing a different brand between now and the end of the year because they are just resorting to... Yeah, mate, completely. They are resorting to some of the most pathetic football that I've seen. They are relying on a Troy Deeney who, I'm sorry, obviously... Watford fan hero, cult hero, whatever you want to call him, right? The prodigal son in Watford. He's on his last legs. The bloke is 32. You can tell his knees are not quite holding up. He's turning circles, getting larger by the game, and he's just getting slower, Mm. right? All they do is lob it up to him and hope for the best. They just hope for a bit of Deeney magic. Bit of Troy Deeney. But no, the rest, (laughs) honestly, the rest of the team look like a bunch of fucking statues out there. And don't even get me started on Ben Foster, the England fucking goalkeeper. He's 37. And he, he, um, Damon, I don't know if you caught this, but he literally threw it straight to Danny Ings's feet. One of the top three informed strikers in the competition. Fuck me, mate. Give it a rest. That is a load of shit. Your team is fighting for relegation. You shouldn't even be in relegation, right? But from now, the Watford players... Foster included, leading the fucking line, are putting as much effort as they can into this season to make sure Watford get relegated. But you know who's even worse? Andre fucking Gray, yeah. the fucking idiot. Mate, I thought I knew, thought you might bring this one up when you mentioned Watford. I thought this was going to be the main wit. No, no, it, it can't. You know what? You can excuse Gray because you know what? For me, he's not even good enough. You can to excuse make, him, can you? No, I can because you know what? You can. You, you can make the case that he's not even good enough to make the starting eleven, but for but you know what? <laughs> On the other hand, which is the reason for the whip, is Watford don't have a list size or a squad deep enough for this shit to be going on. Gray, Chalba, and Keena were all admitted after reports that uh, Gray held the birthday parties home, and then he delivered some pathetic text up on Twitter to try and uh, redeem his actions. For someone that keeps writing letters to fans saying that he's going to change his way, he seems to be either half brain dead or clearly doesn't even give a shit about the crest that he's wearing on his heart when he goes and plays for Watford or its supporter base. It's clear to me, and I'm pretty sure to every Watford supporter out there, that he's given up on the season and that he should be praying he doesn't get relegated because he's a championship-level player with a championship-level attitude. He does not deserve to be sharing the pitch with Premier League players. Neither are the other dickheads who share the same attitude. I'm looking at Holobus. I'm looking at Perea. Ship them out and never come back. Clearly, you don't have the attitude or the want or the need to stay up in the Premier League. You should be playing in the fucking Premier League. Play to the death or don't play at all. Stop making a mockery of Nigel Pearson, who's putting everything he can into keep what keeping Watford up. It is a joke where they are now. City, Arsenal, Chelsea in their last in their next six games, last six games of the season, don't count on them picking up on any po- any points through those games. Let alone Norwich is probably going to fucking beat them at this rate. They deserve to go down like with West Ham. I hope they are playing playing championship next season. Not for Nigel Pearson's case, but for the sake of the playing group who have been in Watford for so long, ridden the success in the last few seasons. But for me, they are just completely giving up on the crest. It is a fucking joke. Mate, I couldn't have said it better myself, but I also want to go back to what you said about the apology on Twitter. That was piss poor for mine. I, I couldn't agree more with that. That was as robotic as it can get. Like, genuinely... Text that was basically oi management. Can you whip me up an apology? It was almost like he had pre planned the apology before the event even took place. He just didn't care. He's like, Yeah, okay, I'll cop a ban or something for it if I get caught. Like, that's the sort of 
vibe I got from his apology. So I couldn't agree more with that, which right. That was real, Mate, real. And just ordinary. another thing on Andre Gray, right? He is getting paid. I think I think it is uh, 45k a week, 45,000 pounds a week, Damo. He does jack mm-hmm. shit for Watford. He's got a pop star girlfriend because clearly he's riding the bloody success of his contract and the dwindling career he's got left. He's not even good enough to pull on the shirt for Watford anymore. And off field, he's creating so many issues for a squad that is not deep and needs every single player to make sure that they do not get relegated. Because if someone goes down, I can tell you the like the the, the two players that got caught out, which were Chalabai and Kina, they could have used them on the weekend against Southampton. They could have used them. They needed their athleticism. But no, Andre Gray sucking brought them into his shithole attitude, right? And it is a joke. It is a joke that he's still allowed to play for Watford. Ship him out at the end of the season. Clearly, he doesn't want to be there, and he does not show any effort whatsoever, along with a lot of other players that pull on the Watford shirt. They need a clear out. And Nigel, I feel sorry for Nigel Pearson because he's putting everything he is. He can into this team, and clearly he has been. But after the break, clearly they've been sinking too many beers. They're just playing like shit. <laughs> they, they, honestly, it is woeful. It's so slow to watch them play. And Southampton, for me, could, probably could have even put another three or four, three or four past them. The way they're playing is just so crap. So so crap. And the centre backs were caught out every single time. I just don't see the desire to, to stay in the Premier League, and therefore, for me, they deserve to go down. Which. Huge whip I'm out of breath, mate. It's so mate, frustrating to see teams that don't want to be in the Premier League. It's so frustrating. It's it's also alarming when you when those sort of games up against your Southamptons who realistically don't have a, a heap to play for in this last month. You know, can they wipe the floor with them as you said. So, you know, when when you're coming up against who a team who naturally would be right now challenged for motivation. For them to show more motivation than you is a, is a serious concern for Nigel. Yeah, Pearson. and I think the only thing uh, coming to like the best thing Southampton can pray for this season would be Danny Ings winning the Golden Boot. Like, to, like yeah. that, that's all they have to play for. There's, there's, they've got nowhere to go. And credit to Southampton, that, you know, since that nine nil that they had from City, they have honestly they've turned the ship around. And then what are they on now? Like forty points or something. That mate, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're safe. Yeah, they're completely safe as well. And if it wasn't for that goal difference, they'd probably have a similar, uh, better goal difference than than um, any, a, anyone else in, in the bottom ten, let alone Arsenal and yeah. Sheffield. So you know, there you go. Like it just shows they're a team that want to be in the Premier League, and they've completely shown it in the second half of the season. Can't be the same. Can't be said for Watford. Alrighty, Woodra, I reckon on that note, a huge whip from the Woodra. I reckon it's safe to say we can wrap this one up. Liverpool fans, I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed listening to Dan Garb. As we said earlier, go hit up his podcast, Greats with Garb. It's a ripper. Woodra, we uh, keep an active as ever on the socials. And if they mm. want to hit us up on the socials, where can they find us? You can find us on Insta at Premier League Nightclub. And Damo, where can you find us on the Twitter? You can find us on the Twitter at PL Nightclub. Search us up on Facebook if you're a Facebook man yourself. Or, of course, keep listening as well on the Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen. Make sure you subscribe, follow, whatever it is. I sort of got that one right, Woodrow. I've been absolutely stuffing that sort of phrase up for the last <laughs> few weeks. So that was all right, that one. But yeah, Woodrow, I'm out of here. It was good to hear from, from Garby. And, and yeah, I'll uh, see, see you next week. And hopefully everybody enjoys the Premier League action over the next week. And, you know... Keeps coming back. Yeah, mate. The Premier League is keep rolling on. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you very much for booking the Premier League Nightclub. We'll catch you next week.
See ya.